Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the great pleasure of having Dr. Kevin McGowan with us. Now, Kevin began his leadership journey as an elementary school teacher in the suburbs of Buffalo, New York. Through his teaching experience, he had a variety of opportunities to lead communities and groups in the development of programs in his school. He was excited about the idea of working with a team to improve what was happening for the kids in his school. These early experiences and those that he observed as a child of a dedicated inner city school teacher, as well as having observed both parents serve as school and community volunteers, really influenced Kevin's decision to begin formally preparing to become a school leader. Kevin earned a master's degree from Canisius College in Educational Administration and Supervision. Following his completion of the program, he became a high school assistant principal in the Iroquois Central School District. He enjoyed immensely the opportunity to work with older students. He also felt that their problems were similar and that perhaps their greatest difference was simply their shoe size. More importantly, this is where he met up with a high school principal named Jim Knowles and a superintendent named Mike Glover. These two mentors shaped his leadership style, developed his skills, and always put him in a position to be successful. Jim and Mike provided constant examples of always putting the needs of students first and doing the right things the right way at the right time. Following a year at the high school, Kevin was asked to become the principal at Wales Primary School, also in Iroquois. Wales Primary was the ideal place to develop the skills needed for one to independently run a system, albeit a small one. The building was once considerably divided, but the staff and parents were incredibly committed and talented. Over the next five years, they would work as a very special team to improve outcomes for all students and to come together as one school building, constantly supporting each other. Kevin then became the superintendent of the Warsaw Central School District. Warsaw is a small rural school district where the community is exceptionally proud of their schools and committed to their children. Kevin worked with the board and the community to design their first strategic plan, redesigning their relatively undefined curriculum and develop a capital project that enhanced the facilities and increased their technology capacity significantly. For the past seven and a half years, Kevin has had the opportunity to now lead Brighton. Welcome, Dr. Kevin McGowan. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. We're very happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I sure am. I'm glad to. 
Wonderful. So Kevin, can you share a little bit about your leadership journey with us? Sure. My journey began really as an elementary teacher in suburban Buffalo. I was in the Star Point Central School District. And I was an elementary teacher given many opportunities to lead, to be a part of uh, great committee work, shared decision-making types of efforts in a district where that was very, very important. And I was blessed to be there at a time very early in my career where there was a need for people, even brand new to the building, to step up and be a part of that type of leadership. And I had a principal who put me in really interesting positions that way and gave me those opportunities. And so, So you had a principal who pushed you. Yeah, she pushed me and she said, why don't you take on this committee? Why don't you chair this? Why don't you try this? And I got a little bit of a taste for it, a taste for the opportunity to do really neat things with large groups of people and hopefully change some outcomes and change the way we were approaching our service to kids. And I got excited about that. So then from there, I I decided to pursue my master's degree in uh, administration and supervision, finished that at Canisius College. And as I was finishing it, My wife was teaching in another suburban Buffalo district where there was really great, great work happening that I was very envious of. And what struck me is her feelings about the leadership that she experienced there in that district. Mm -hmm. And that was the Iroquois Central School District, namely the superintendent, a guy by the name of Mike Glover. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Glover is an outstanding superintendent who was always, always, always focused on kids, doing the right things the right way and uh, was an inspirational leader intellectually, but also morally uh, and in terms of his own character. And just, again, focus on children and their their needs and their parents. And so they had a high school assistant principalship open, and I applied for that job. I had been a coach and worked with older kids before, even though I was an elementary teacher. I thought that uh, those high school kids, frankly, were kind of second graders with just larger shoes, to be honest with you. I mean, kids are kids. And I love that. I love that experience of being at the high school level. And I had the chance then to work with Mike Glover, but also with the high school principal, a guy named Jim Knowles. And between Jim and Mike, I really had the two greatest examples of leadership, not just educational leadership, but of leadership and their constant focus on each individual child, supporting them, persevering, being so diligent in their work but always, always, always focusing on each individual and how they could support them and doing everything possible to do that, putting kids above all else. And I enjoyed that tremendously. They put me in great positions to be successful. After a year of doing that, I became an elementary principal in the same district, Mm -hmm. worked in a building with, when I got there, a very divided staff uh, for a variety of reasons and had the opportunity to work with, they were divided but great, talented people. Mm -hmm. And to work with them to kind of come together as a team improve outcomes for kids that were achieving far less than where they should have been. And we did that. And I say we because they did that. I happened to be there to be a part of it. But frankly, they came together as a team and made that happen for kids. And that led to the opportunity to become the superintendent of the Warsaw Central School District in Wyoming County, New York, a small rural district. Great opportunity to learn all aspects of the superintendency and of really district operations in a district that small. You end up doing a lot of the roles at one time or another, or maybe exclusively as a part of your job, and work in a community that socioeconomically was struggling. And to think about how to meet the needs of kids in very different circumstances, great experience uh, doing that work. And then as I uh, had sent to you ahead of time, I had the chance to come to the 27 Yankees and work here in Brighton. And now it's been eight years, suburban Rochester, high achieving district, diverse place. You know, I think Our hallmarks are both the embracing of diversity 
and high achievement for all kids. And now over eight years, we've seen our graduation rate go up significantly. It was already pretty high, but it's at a, at a great place now. But more important to me is that our graduation rate for kids in our identified subgroups has risen as well. And we're now really focusing on the kids that weren't as successful in our system and how we can open up access to rigorous coursework for them and put them in better positions to be successful. So that's a little bit about my leadership journey. It's been really uh, exciting for me all along the way. Wow, you did that quite well. Thanks. (laughs) Now, one of the things that just kind of jumped out to me is when you said that your wife would come home and talk about the leadership, right? Yeah. And that was, I guess she was very instrumental in getting you to really look at leadership as something that you wanted to do. My husband comes home and talks about leadership. It's not really quite that way. (laughs) (laughs) But it's wonderful to hear that it had such an impact on her and then she had such an impact on you. Right. And I would say she's definitely played an instrumental role in this for me from day one. For any of us, the patience of a spouse or partner in putting up with the time and the hours and the, right. the different stressors with the job is key. But certainly her coming home from her final interview with Mike Glover and saying, you have got to meet this guy someday. He's an inspirational leader. And then as she worked in the district, you know, repeating those stories and telling me about the ways that he was communicating with staff and the ways that he was focusing the staff in the entire district on the needs of kids, that type of inspiration certainly had me thinking, well, these are the type of people that I'd like to be around. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Um, Now, how would you describe your leadership style? You know, I think I really try and focus on kids, as I think I learned from those mentors, but on people, on individual situations, and on these individual opportunities to do our best. You know, I talk a lot with our team about an opportunity for excellence. And even the little things, the phone calls that don't go as well as we'd like them to do, or the interaction with a community member over an issue... We really try and think about every one of those as an opportunity for excellence. Every conversation with kids, every meeting we go to is an opportunity to be our best. So I think, you know, to that end, my my style would be passionate about the work, thoughtful, communicative, and just in touch with people on a very personal level. So our 600 plus staff members and our 3,600 kids and their many parents and caregivers, I think developing individual relationships with them and that type of personal approach to leadership is something very important to me. Mm -hmm. Now, you spoke about mentors. How instrumental was that in your growth as a leader? I think it had everything to do with my growth. I think that these mentors that I had, they led by example. They led by creating scenarios where I would be successful Mm. by teaching by including me as a full partner from day one. So in terms of kind of leadership team activities, and I never felt like I was on the JV team. I always felt like I was from the moment I walked in the door, you know, and here I was a 25-year-old assistant principal in high school. Kids were not that much younger than me. Mm -hmm. And certainly most of the staff members were older. And yet none of that mattered. None of that really ever came up. That it was all about just doing the job, doing it the right way, doing the right things for kids, and them creating scenarios where they found ways for your talents and your skills to be shown to other people and to be demonstrated. And and I think that that was really important. So, And then they've played the role of somebody that I could pick up the phone and call and get advice Mm. and count on and share stories with, which is so important in this work as well. 
That's a beautiful thing. You, it sounds like you were highly valued, and that's great. Now, can you tell us, Kevin, do you have any quotes about leadership that speak to you? You know, I, there's a lot of them. I think, though, Peter Drucker once said that management is doing things right, but leadership is doing the right things. And I think that we can follow a book that tells us a procedure, and I think that you know, reasonably intelligent people can follow step-by-step directions. But real leadership is doing that but also just finding the way to do the right things and making sure that we're focused on the right things. So when I mentioned to you that increase in our graduation rate for our identified subgroups or underrepresented groups, there wasn't a book that told us we had to do that. There wasn't a list of step-by-step procedures, but it was about choosing that as the right thing to do for kids. Mm -hmm. It was about choosing as leaders in this district to confront our process at the secondary level for addressing struggling kids and recognizing that we weren't doing enough to address the individual child's needs. And that was choosing the right thing. Mm -hmm. We had to go about it the right way. It was also choosing the right things to do. Okay, great. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by? I'm inspired by the leader that shows me they are focused on children and on their needs. And I'm definitely more inspired by the person who it's not about them, Mm -hmm. but it's about the work and about the kids that they work with. I just wrote an email to a colleague last night who announced his retirement. I'm inspired by this person's courage and leadership in difficult situations, most recently a situation that involved a very difficult conversation around race in his community. Mm -hmm. And this person just persevered through that and continued to fight the good fight because it was the right thing for kids and did it in a very courageous way, given lots of opportunities to go the other direction. And so I'm inspired by those types of leaders that just stay focused despite personal challenges and difficulties and that all of the roadblocks that are put in front of us, you know, it's not easy to talk to people about improving their performance. It's not easy to talk to people about making sacrifices. It's not easy to push people to do better, but we owe that to kids. Mm -hmm. And it makes you sometimes the most unpopular person in the room. But to have the courage to see that through because in the bigger picture, that's the right thing for kids. That's the type of leadership that inspires me. Yeah, and there's so much that comes at you, especially as a teacher. And there's so many different changes, and there's a lot of fear now about where we're going. And so as a leader, how do you step back and help your staff through that fear? Because fear is very real. You know, I struggle with that a little bit. I try very directly to confront that by saying, I recognize that there are these outside forces that scare us Mm -hmm. and the pressure currently in New York State around assessment, around Common Core, around APPR, kind of the three pillars of difficulty over the past few years Mm -hmm. and the constant rhetoric in the newspaper from political leaders and others about the lack of performance by educators or the ways that we are letting people down make it very frustrating and difficult for people in this chosen profession of theirs. And so I try and just confront that very directly and say, listen, let's just focus on us. Let's not worry about that. Let's focus on the right things here because in your community, you're exceptionally valued. We're not worried about those things. We're not worried about APPR. We're not worried about testing. We're not worried about those results. We're going to continue to tell you that you're doing great things for kids. And we measure that in this way, this way, this way, and this way. So I think it's about communication. But I think my struggle is, what I was getting at, is that at some point, you do have to be willing to let go of that fear. Mm -hmm. And I can only get you so far in letting go of that fear. I can only reassure you organizationally so much. And the vast majority of people can let go of that. 
But then there's a small percentage that still really struggle because of this current context that we're in. And I don't know how to get them the rest of the way there Mm -hmm. because we've done nothing but try and provide the most positive support for that. Um, But for most people that works, it's just, I'd like to get everybody there. Right. And that's all you can do. You can only change your perspective and try to change the perspective of others, but you can't make them. Nope, you can't. So Kevin, what's the best advice you've ever received? Keep first things first. If you really continue to focus on people and on children, and you make sure you demonstrate to people that you care about their children, Mm -hmm. and to staff members that you care about their work and that you care about them, they will be your partner. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw from those mentors, and that's what I heard from them all the time, and I think they were right in that. When people know you care about their kids or you care about them and you demonstrate that and you keep those first things first, you're much more likely to have partners and be successful in the work. Okay. Now, you speak a lot about teams. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have a good team, and how would you build one or sustain one? Well, it means everything. If anybody ever thinks the work is theirs and theirs alone, they're sadly mistaken. They will be alone very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that it only gets done when you have a great team. And the way you build that, I think, is to make sure you're setting your expectations very clearly and high. And you work with, you know, anybody, nobody starts from scratch, right? So they mm-hmm. come into a situation and they're working with people who have been there, mm-hmm. people who may not be there for very much longer. And they're thinking about the people that may be to come. So I think it's about starting out, learning about the talents that everybody has and the skills that they have and the value they have to the organization. And then understanding that those are the people you have to work with, Mm -hmm. right? So you're not going to be able to change your team very quickly in this work. And so don't spend any time lamenting what it could be. Spend time focusing on what it can be given what you have. Mm -hmm. Set your expectations clearly and at a high level and begin to work with people on meeting those expectations and be clear and honest about that and think about everybody's distinct set of talents. And then as you have the opportunity to shape your team, and, and you have opportunities over time. I've been here eight years now, and the vast majority of our team of 19 or so people have moved around or changed. And we've just tried to really think about how do we find complementing parts We want to always hire people that are smarter than us, better, Mm -hmm. faster, stronger. Mm -hmm. We ask people very direct questions about how will you make us better? How will you improve our organization? Mm -hmm. We have a very deep process of vetting our future teammates and interviewing them. We check lots and lots of references. We have a long drawn out process that involves screening interviews, involves committee interviews that, that involve many other stakeholders in the organization. But then we also have people do a lot of work for us in terms of a practical task and handling some scenarios to show us their leadership skills right on the spot. And that seems to have really helped. I couldn't be more proud of where we're at right now in terms of our team. And we've really built quite a great collection. I look, in fact, at our cabinet, Mm -hmm. and we have a finance person, our assistant superintendent for administration, Lou Alimo is his name, and he is very analytical. And he's very good at that. Mm -hmm. We have an assistant superintendent, Dr. Debbie Baker, for curriculum instruction, who is very focused on the theoretical and the intellectual. And we have a pupil personnel services director. We call her student support director now, Carolyn Rabideau, who's very focused on the practical and how does this work for kids and teachers and principals on a daily basis. And I feel like I have to really think very much about, for me personally, the political, the philosophical, the ethos of the district, And take into account the analytical perspective at the table, 
the theoretical perspective at the table, the practical perspective at the table, and try and bring those pieces together, analyze it politically, analyze it philosophically in terms of what the district believes in, and then go forward making decisions with all of that input. So it's a way for us that we try and think about how do we complement each other in our different roles. It sounds like a wonderful place to be. Now, you mentioned listening. How important is that for a leader? Well, I think it's more important than talking. So, you know, this is not the right forum as I'm required to speak because I'm in a podcast. But <laughs> right. I would say this, to you, this, this doesn't count. <laughs> I would say to you, in most circumstances, it's important to listen a lot more than you're talking. Mm-hmm. For one, if you're talking all the time in this particular position and in most leadership positions, people start to hear the same things over and over again. And I don't think they still hear it the same way mm-hmm. when you're saying it over and over. I think that listening to their feedback, listening to what people are saying, and I mean active listening, I mean not just looking at somebody, but really being engaged and thinking very thoughtfully, even active listening, repeating back to them what they may have said to you and trying to understand it at a deeper level. It has so many benefits in terms of developing a feeling of respect and mutual collaboration and just so beneficial. And so I I think that listening is key to this and much more important than just hearing yourself talk all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, now tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. It is difficult to use this as an example, but it's probably the best one that I have. It probably speaks to what a lot of people go through. The worst circumstance ever for a school leader is losing a child. Mm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, at some point or another, many people will go through that experience. And it certainly was the greatest challenge for me personally and professionally. And it certainly shaped how I think about leadership in a pastoral way. Okay, let me just back up a minute. Sure, sure. You mean losing a child as in your child? No, I'm sorry. Losing a student, losing a child in the district who Mm -hmm. who passed away. Mm -hmm. And I think that it probably takes so many different forms for people when this happens. But in a district where people are very, very close and when they're aware of it and there's a family-like atmosphere and a town that's very close, you have a pastoral role to play in that. And I think that was, for me, a very defining experience when when we went through that here at Brighton. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your strengths and your weaknesses and what you can mean to a situation and how you can be helpful to the family, but also to caring for this larger family in the school district. So for me, that was an experience that really was a great challenge and certainly defined the work. And so you said that you learn a lot about yourself. What did you learn that helps you now to view things in a different way? I don't know if what I learned help, helps me view things in a different way. I think what I what I just learned is the impact of pastoral care mm-hmm. on the community. And so it probably shapes, you know, we went through a situation a year ago where we announced to the community that we had had some positive water tests for lead. And it shapes mm-hmm. how you communicate and how you view this, again, this pastoral relationship. I don't know that it dramatically changed that for me. I mean, when I was an elementary principal in a small building, about 250 kids on a edge of a dairy farm, you feel very much like the father of this larger family. Right. Right. So, th- so this wasn't brand new. I think maybe it was just learning more about that and learning more about my need to be pastoral for people. Mm. Yeah, I know that when something like that occurs, you also grow in your love and your compassion on so many levels. And you're absolutely right. It falls under the pastoral care. Now, tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you. 
I think that it's changing the outcomes for kids at our high school. You know, we had a graduation rate that would normally hover low 90s or so. Uh, it dipped to about 89%. By most measures in most places, that would still be a very good graduation rate. But for a high-achieving suburban district, that was not where it needed to be. But as I had mentioned, the, the increase in our graduation rate for students in particular subgroups has been pretty significant. In addition to that, or maybe associated with that, we've developed you know a variety of alternative programs, a variety of different ways to approach students who learn differently. And that, to me, has been the most proud accomplishment of our work here, is really being in a place where people were achieving at a high level before, but only some kids. Mm -hmm. And now that seems accessible to many more kids. And I think that that, to me, is our greatest success here in the district. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So what would you tell a new leader who is discouraged about their culture or climate? They go into a school and they're thinking one thing, but it's completely different and they're discouraged. I'd say change it. Don't let it change you mm. or and or then change your job. And along the way, there's a lot of steps in that. I think that be patient. Mm -hmm. You know, the phrase Rome wasn't built in a day is absolutely true in these circumstances. But be very deliberate in setting out a path to make a change in that area and be realistic about what you can accomplish. Ultimately, if you can't stomach that, if that's not something that, you know, you can work through, then you really should think about, you know, going different places and doing different things. I mean, there are other opportunities. But I think for the most part, it's just stick with it and be patient with it. And it will change. It won't change overnight. It'll take time. You'll have to work directly with people, be honest with them about their performance, be honest with them about their attitude, about how they treat kids. But you'll get there eventually. Don't let it change you. Don't compromise those values. And at the end of the day, if those things can't happen, then think about maybe finding a different environment. And how important is having a mentor or a coach through this process? Well, I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for me, those mentors were very important and people that I could pick up the phone and call. I've worked with leaders that need all different levels of that. I've worked as a mentor, I've, you know, formally and informally. Mm -hmm. And some people need more, some people need less. It just depends on the needs of that particular person. Okay. You know, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? For me, it's about learning every day more about what will make us successful. And, you know, when habits of the mind, for example, crosses my desk as something that's happening in one of our buildings or could happen in one of our buildings, reading about it, thinking about it, learning about it, asking about it. When we're engaged in a capital project and we're thinking about 21st century learning spaces, reading about it, thinking about it, learning about it, you know, really digging in and finding the research that tells me whether this is something that might be good for our kids or not. I think it's also about on a daily basis learning about what your community needs and being, you know, open to that, understanding the new regulations for English language learners and what does that mean? Why is that important and how can that be important? It's just this constant need to learn mm -hmm. about the challenges that are in front of you, research it, learn mm -hmm. more about it, read a book about it, mm -hmm. and be able to walk into the discussion somewhat prepared for the debate and for finding good solutions for your kids. I mean, over the last several years, we've learned a lot about transgender youth and understood how to be a more inclusive community. Been really, I think, pioneers in that area. Again, that I would probably, if you'd asked me for a second thing that make me most proud about our successes or one of our successes, that would be it. 
is the development of policy really long before others around transgender, but working with kids now for, uh, I would say we're at about seven years now, believe it or not, of working on this issue and uh, creating an environment and adopting a policy where we said, we love you for who you are. Whoever you say you are, we'll support you in every way we can. Let's talk about that, and let's work together on that. Those are the kinds of things. We had to learn a lot about that, though, and engage in a lot of professional development around that to understand it better. Wow, Kevin, I'm sitting here and I'm smiling because that's amazing you're doing there. Now, you are a very self-aware person. Not only that, you have such compassion. It seems Thank like you. you have a good pulse on what's going on around you. What do you do for your own growth? That's a great question. I've been very involved in the council of school superintendents in New York in their work and in the professional development that's provided through that group. Mm-hmm. You know, so I take advantage of those opportunities. Every summer there's a workshop that I attend at Harvard. Um, also part of a national group around research and technology and education. And so given the demands of the job, you can't spend an exceptional amount of time on your learning, but I think you need to devote at least a small amount of time to trying to learn more about what's in front of us and what uh, would benefit our kids and our school district. So I do those things. I teach a course at the University of Rochester in the politics of education. And by teaching the course, I feel like I'm re-engaged in the material mm-hmm. in a different way. And you have to think about it differently. I learn, I think, as much from the people that I teach as they may from the course. So I appreciate those compliments. My mom and dad would be happy to hear you say that. <laughs> so tell us, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? You know, I would strongly suggest uh, the book Better by Atul Gawande. And Better is a really interesting story where this is a physician. He's a Harvard professor and a physician who writes about many successes and some failures in the medical field. It's about leadership. It's about really these three areas that he hits on pretty significantly. Diligence, ingenuity, and doing right by people. It's about thinking about those things in all the work that we do um, translates to any sector of the economy, any field, really. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm writing this down. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? You know, uh, one thing that's important to me is routines and systems. And they change all the time, and we need to be flexible in those because life has a lot of different challenges in front of us. I have a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 4-year-old. So I'm always trying to think of finding balance with them and having routines around that. We try and have breakfast together in the morning, and I come to school with two of my three kids. So that helps me, I think, just start the day in the right way. I stick to the same routine around exercise and when I get up and those types of things as much as I can, and the same thing in the evening, sticking to those kind of routines. On a daily basis, I keep lots of lists and have systems for that. You know, so when I leave the night before, I have a really good handle on what I'm going to get done the next day. Mm-hmm. And I have the today, tomorrow list, which is before I leave at night, I've reviewed that and thought about that. And I have the ongoing to-do list. And those lists are based on a monthly checklist that I've developed over time for the things that I need to get done that are the regular items. And then the items that pop up, you know, the day-to-day kinds of things that are coming up as well. You know, and I have similar types of systems in place using technology in some different ways for my interaction and work with each of our administrators and with uh, the key stakeholders that I meet with. So our Board of Education, our Teachers Association president, those types of things that I developed over time, these regular routines for how we develop our agenda and how we work together. 
and that really helps too. So we have patterns of, of work together that uh, help make it more efficient and keep us focused. Is there a particular app or program that you use that works really well for you? Two. One would be just simply the reminders mm-hmm. app in the on the iPhone and iPad. Now that also syncs with Microsoft Outlook, and you can have it work that way. I don't typically use it that way, but I like the fact that it's on my phone mm-hmm. and I can look at it then, you know, when it's nine o'clock at night, I'm thinking about what was it that I was going to make sure I get done tomorrow. I can pull that up right. or that I can, you know, add something to it when I remember it later on. So it's always in my pocket. And then OneNote is a program, Microsoft OneNote, where you can share notebooks between people. So my meetings with principals and I meet with them every week, we have an ongoing agenda that we add to throughout the week whenever something comes up. And we share that notebook. So as I'm adding an item, they can see that on their screen at the same time. Okay. And when we meet it's together, like, I've yeah. got that up in front of me. Our cabinet meets once a week, and we have a shared notebook between all of us. works the same way. And when I'm in that meeting, I'm typically adding things to the notebooks for the other meetings. And it really helps then in relieving some of the stress of, I've got to remember I make sure I ask so-and-so about this. Mm-hmm. Well, I just put it already on the notebook, so I'm, I don't have to you know, waste the brain energy on remembering to ask that person this question. It's already there. And it gives them a chance to prepare the answer, whatever it might be. And it just makes things much more efficient that way. Okay, great. Now, you touched on this a little bit about maintaining balance. Mm-hmm. Now, you have three kids, a wife who's also in education, correct? Is she you an administrator? It. No. So she has actually been home now for a while with our kids, I'd say working at home. Uh-huh. And she does uh, do some tutoring right now, but she's not full-time back in the classroom. She was a first-grade teacher. So I know your hours are long. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I, I do it in a couple different ways. For one, I live like three blocks from school, oh, that's which nice. really helps. Yeah, it makes a big difference. I do that, number one. Number two, having my kids in the district makes a big, big difference. Because when I'm going to events and I'm part of events here and I'm attending things, it's a family affair. And, you know, if I'm going to a basketball game on a Friday night, the chances are my 14-year-old and 11-year-old want to be there as well. So that really helps a lot. The other thing, and probably the most crucial element for me, is the partnership with my wife. Because her being at home with our kids allows me the flexibility to devote a lot of time to the job. It makes a big, big difference. She's very supportive that way. She's very understanding of the hours and the time. I also will tell you that most of our hobbies and the things we do, we do together. So, you know, in terms of finding balance and time, she's very, very patient with me. But also we try and make sure we carve out time together as a family. And we're pretty insistent on that. We don't do a lot of other things that don't involve all of us. And it just seems to work well that way. Well, you're not only working in that community, you really are a part of that community. I think so, yeah. Okay, so we've come to our last question. If you were to go back in time, Kevin, mm-hmm. what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? You know, I have been thinking a lot about this question. I would probably give the younger me the advice to, you know, savor the successes, be patient. I don't know that I was impatient necessarily either, but mm-hmm. that would be the advice that I would go back. Pick your spots, be patient, fight the fights that matter the most. I think that that would be the advice that I would give. Okay, so is there anything that we haven't addressed that you would like to share with our listeners? Not necessarily, other than this opportunity in leadership and this podcast is probably certainly geared towards people that are interested in the topic and interested in growing. Mm-hmm. There is such a need for strong leadership and such a need for people to be courageous to be focused on kids, to continue to be humble in the work, have a laser-like focus on the needs of every individual child 
and be entirely committed to that. I would just strongly encourage people to keep that in mind, to jump into that because they're absolutely needed and know that they are really impacting the future in a pretty dramatic way. Thank you, Kevin. Um, That's my passion as well. So that's why we do what we do. You got it. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and best of luck to all of you. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.